If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As botanical-style aquarists, we're keenly aware of the benefits of utilizing botanicals and leaves in our aquariums. And we understand this intimately. It's what we do. So we're kind of used to the idea of them impacting our animals and our aquarium habitats in a variety of ways. We're aware that botanicals and leaves contain numerous compounds, ranging from humic substances and the obvious tannins to stuff like lignin, cellulose, and even minerals. We've seen what some of this stuff can do for aquariums. We've seen it with our own eyes, gauge the results for ourselves. And there are still more questions than answers. We have them. We receive a lot of them. We receive a lot of questions from shrimp keepers asking about the various merits of utilizing botanicals and environmental enrichment and nutrition for their animals. I love shrimp keepers because they remind me a lot of reefers, just obsessed with the well-being of their animals with a real heavy focus on finding materials or approaches which will benefit the shrimp. And like reef keepers, shrimpers are bombarded by a lot of marketing, inflated claims of benefits, anecdotal assumptions, and outright falsehoods. And like reefers, many have a built-in bullshit meter to sort of look at some of these claims with a skeptical eye. And they should. There's a lot of stuff said about botanical materials and their use as food for shrimps, and some of it is outright BS. Some of it is not, but it's pretty anecdotal, and if taken without question, might create the incorrect impression that these materials are more beneficial to shrimp somehow than they really are. The problem is that we know a little about the potential nutritional value of botanicals for shrimp, and that might spur a lot of speculation. Huh? Well, let's look at what we do know about this topic. It's safe to say that most leaves and botanicals contain vitamins, amino acids, micronutrients, and bioavailable compounds. Pretty safe to say that. <clears throat> Excuse me. The real question I have is exactly how available they are to our shrimp from a nutritional standpoint, and how nutrient-dense these leaves and botanicals are. Do our fishes and shrimp easily assimilate all they need in every bite, or do they have to eat tons of the stuff to derive any of these benefits? Big questions, right? I mean, we as hobbyists sort of assume that if these things are present in the botanicals, then our animals get a nice dose of them in every bite, right? And it begs the question, also, are they really directly consuming stuff like casuarina cones and guava leaves and stuff like that, or are they just feeding on something else on their surfaces? You know, more on that later. I think it's yes on both. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the uh, nutrition that they derive from consuming them, well, that's the part where I say I don't know. I know it's hardly helpful. I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense to me. However, there's some definitive scientific information out there. Is there? There is. But it has to do with human consumption of these things. A lot of the botanicals for food thing in the hobby comes from the world of shrimp keepers. This is not new stuff to them. They've been touting this stuff for a long time. You see a lot of food additives and foods for shrimp marketed towards shrimp keepers that are made from plant ingredients and botanicals. Um, you know, and a lot of it's based on the presence of materials like leaves and such in the wild habitats where shrimp are found. I did some research on online, you know, that internet thing, it might just catch on. And I learned that 
in aquaculture of food shrimp, a tremendous variety of vegetables, fruits, etc. are utilized, and many offer good nutritional profiles for shrimp in terms of protein, amino acids, and all this stuff we talk about. They're all pretty good. <clears throat> so which one is best? Well, does it matter? In fact, other than sorting through mind-numbing numbers on various amino acid concentrations and say, mulberry leaves versus uh, sugar beets or white nettle or whatever, they're not huge differences making any one food vastly superior to all the others, at least from my very cursory non-scientific hobby, non-hobby, you know, hobbyist examination. Why did I say non-hobby? I'm a hobbyist. Crazy. Now, <laughs> leaves like guava and mulberry, etc., are ravenously consumed by shrimp and some fishes. And it's known by scientific analysis that they do contain compounds like vitamins B1, B2, B6, and vitamin C, as well as carbohydrates, fiber, amino acids, and elements like magnesium, potassium, zinc, and iron, and calcium, all this stuff that's really important for many organisms, including shrimp. Guava leaves are particularly good, according to some of the studies that I found, because apparently the bulk of the nutrients they contain are more readily available to animals than other leaves. Well, that's pretty important, isn't it? I think so. Now, it may be coincidental that these much-loved, at least by the shrimp, leaves happen to have such a good amount of nutritional availability. That certainly doesn't hurt, right? <clears throat> Other leaves, like jackfruit, contain phytonutrients such as lignans, uh, isoflavins, and saponins that have health benefits that are wide-ranging for humans. Let's talk about that again. There's some conflicting data regarding jackfruit's alleged antifungal capability. Anyway, the leaves are thought to exhibit a broad spectrum of antibacterial activity in humans, and in traditional medicine, these leaves are used to help heal wounds as well. Do these properties transfer over to our fishes and shrimp? That's the big question. We're not aware of any scientific studies that have been completed to correlate one way or another. I just haven't found them. Now, I'm only one guy. I'm not a shrimp expert, and I'm certainly not a nutritionist, but I just haven't found that. I've done a lot of searching online, and I'm talking not talking about hobbyist research. I'm talking about scientific research. I just haven't seen it. That being said... The shrimp seem to flock to these leaves and they graze on them directly and on the biofilms which accumulate on their surface tissues. Now, the biofilms again, right? As I mentioned before, the shrimp side of the hobby reminds me a lot of the, the coral part of the reef keeping hobby where I spent a lot of time, both personally and professionally, working and interacting with the community. There's some incredibly talented shrimp people out there and there are many doing amazing work and sharing their expertise and experience with the hobby, which is to everyone's benefit. And there's also a lot of people out there in that world, vendors specifically, who make some, and this is just my opinion, who make some, well, stretches about products and such and what they can do and why they're supposedly great for shrimp. I see this a lot in the food sector of that hobby specialty, where manufacturers of various foods extol the virtues of different products and nutritional or natural materials because they have certain nutritional attributes like vitamins and the aforementioned amino acids and such, which again are known to be valuable to human nutrition which are also known to be beneficial in some manner to shrimp. And that's fine, but that's where it gets a bit anecdotal, or let's call it, like I see it, a bit sketchy. Where it gets that way is when I read the descriptions about stuff like leaves and such on vendors' websites, which cater to these animals, making these very broad and expansive claims about their benefits based simply on the fact that shrimp seem to eat them and that they contain substances and compounds which are known to be beneficial from a generic nutritional standpoint, you know, like in humans. All well-meaning, not intended to do harm to consumers, I'm sure, but perhaps occasionally it's just a bit of a stretch. I just wonder if we stretch and assert too much sometimes in this area. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to make inferences. We do that all the time on topics here, but we qualify them with stuff like, it could be possible that, or I wonder if. 
But I can't stand it when absolute assertions are made, particularly in like marketing hyperbole. They're made without any qualification that just because this leaf has some compound, which is part of a family of compounds that are thought to be useful to shrimp or humans for that matter, or that shrimp devour them, that it's the perfect food for them with these enormous benefits. I hate that kind of marketing. I just, that's frightening. It's just food, one of many possibilities out there. That's how I think we need to look at things. Botanicals and leaves are just botanical materials. Do they have collateral food benefits? Potentially, yes. Of course, I hope I'm not out there adding to the confusion, which is what I've tried not to do. I try to hold myself to a little higher standards on this topic, yet like so many things that we talk about here in the world of botanicals, there's just no absolutes. So does it help or does it cloud things? I don't know. What is fact is that some botanical plant-derived materials, like various seeds, root vegetables, etc., do have different levels of trace elements, uh, or excuse me, elements such as calcium and phosphorus, and widely varying crude protein, stuff that's known to be beneficial to shrimp, of course. These things are known by science largely through studies done on shrimp farmed for human consumption. Yet again, I have no idea what some of the seed pods that we offer as botanicals contain in terms of proteins and amino acids and i make no assertion about this aspect of them above and beyond what i can find in scientific literature which isn't a ton and no one else does either no one else can make that assumption however i suppose that one can make some huge overgeneralizations that one seed pod or fruit capsule is some you know somewhat similar to others in terms of the profile of basic amino acids vitamins trace elements etc i know i'm gulping here when i say that because i'm thinking wow did i just did I just make an assumption? Probably. We certainly can assume that some of this stuff, known to have nutritional value, can make these materials potentially useful as supplemental food sources for fishes and shrimps. Notice I said supplemental. Yet, in my humble opinion, that's really the best we can do until more scientific, specific, rigid studies are conducted. And what else we can do is to feed a wide variety of stuff to our shrimp, make a lot of stuff available to them. Sort of the equivalent of throwing a bunch of spaghetti on the wall to see what sticks. Now, we may not know which seed pods and such in and of themselves are more nutritious to fishes and shrimp than others, but we do know from simple observations that some are better at recruiting materials on their surfaces, which serve as food sources for aquatic organisms. Yes, I'm talking about the biofilms and fungal growths for the millionth time, which make the appearance on our botanicals, our leaves, and wood after a few weeks of submersion. We know that shrimp seem to love grazing on biofilms, and that the nutritional benefits of biofilms are pretty well established by science. They're a rich source of sugars and other nutrients and could even prove to be an interesting addition to a nursery tank for, you know, raising fry and larval shrimp. Shrimp keepers have been doing this for a while. You know, like add a bunch of, you know, leaves and botanicals, let them do their thing and allow your fry or larval shrimp to graze on them. That's not rocket science. Something's going on there. Anecdotally or otherwise, we can determine that there is some benefit. And of course, it's long been known from field studies that as leaves and other plant materials break down, they serve as fuel for the growth of biofilms, fungi, and microorganisms, which in turn provide supplemental food sources for fishes and shrimps. I've seen a bunch of videos of, you know, shrimps and fishes in the wild grazing over fields of decomposing leaves and the biofilms that they foster. And I've seen it for years in my own aquariums. <laughs> biofilms, again, I know, refresher for you. Just be real quick on this one. Biofilms form when bacteria adhere to surfaces in some form of watery environment. They begin to excrete a slimy, glue-like substance consisting of sugars and other substances that can stick to all kinds of materials, such as, well, in our case, botanicals and leaves. Biofilms on decomposing leaves are pretty much the foundation for the food webs in rivers and streams throughout the world. They're of fundamental importance to aquatic life. It starts with a few bacteria taking advantage of the abundant and pretty comfy source of, you know, surface area that, that leaves and seed pods and so forth, even driftwood offer. 
the early adopters sort of put out the welcome mat for other bacteria by providing more diverse adhesion sites, such as a matrix of sugars that hold the biofilm together. Since some bacteria species are incapable of attaching to a surface on their own, they often anchor themselves to the matrix or directly to their friends who arrived at the party first. Sort of sounds like Instagram, doesn't it? Kind of does, right? And we know from years of personal experience and observation in the aquarium that fishes and shrimp will consume them directly, removing them from virtually any surface that they form on. And some materials are likely better than others at recruiting and accumulating biofilm growth. The biofilm-friendly botanical items seem to fall into several distinct categories. Botanicals with hard, relatively impermeable surfaces, softer, more ephemeral botanical materials which break down easily, and hard-skinned botanicals with soft interiors and... Okay, well, wait a sec. That covers, like, everything. Shit. Yeah, it does. There are a few that do really stand out. For example, let's take our friend the Dysoxylum pod. Dysoxylum binectifarium which is found in the forests of tropical India, but ranges as far afield as Vietnam, is, is found in alluvial soil conditions like clay and sand along rivers and streams, kind of right up our proverbial alley, right? In India, it's also known by many other names, such as the Indian white cedar, the Billy Devadan, the Bombay white cedar, Valley Agile, Parapa, Vagele Agile, and Devarajaj. I'm butchering some of those names, but that's how, it, that's how I'm reading them fast to you. Um, I have my little notes here when I, when I ever I come up with names like that, so hopefully I got them right. Anyway, this tree is a pretty important component of tropical rainforests, especially from India, but, you know, found in other regions. The tree goes big, you know, 40 meters in height, 120 feet, has bark, which is grayish yellow in color, with an inner bark with a sort of creamy yellow color. The fruits that ripen during June to July are capsules. In India, apart from its economic importance for building and furniture make, making, the tree is an important in- source of ingredients for traditional medicine. The fruit has a chemical composition known by the name ashtagnada, which means fragrant smell, and it's used for making incense sticks that are commonly used for worship. And interestingly, compounds derived from the tree itself are known by modern medical researchers to have extremely valuable medicinal properties. Notice we said the tree itself, and this is where you can draw distinctions on some of this stuff. Dysoxylum bark was identified as an alternative source of CPT through a process of bioassay-guided isolation. Camptothesin, which is known to clinical researchers as CPT-1, is a potent anti-cancer product, which led to the discovery of two other clinically used anti-cancer drugs. Tapatican and Iranocatan. I am butchering this, and I know there's some oncologist out there that's going to just laugh at me. But anyway, it made two cancer drugs. Um, then there's a substance called Rohetukuni. It's another, and I again, butchering continues here. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> another compound that accumulates in significant amounts in the seeds, tree trunk, bark, leaves, and twigs and fruits of Dysoxylum. It's an important precursor for the synthesis of other potential anti-cancer drugs. Wow. And all I wanted to do was get some seed pods to feed some shrimp and have something that looks kind of cool in the aquarium. With all these medicinal uses, has anyone ever used them before in aquariums before we started playing with them for this purpose? I'm doubtful, but you never know. And why did I just go on this tangent with all these really tongue-twisting words about this tree and its seed pod? Because it's an example of the kind of information that you can extrapolate from areas of study outside of the aquarium world. Yeah, there's like a lot out there. And half of the benefits ascribed to Dysoxylum are based on its bark and leaves, neither of which we work with. And you can make all sorts of inferences and assumptions about their benefits and how they might apply to shrimp solely based on this kind of stuff. That's what 
we see all the time in this hobby. Don't do that. Don't assume that because the tree and its other parts have compounds, which are known to provide certain benefits that is a hunt to humans, by the way, that is 100% certain that the seed pod does too. Yeah, we utilize the seed pod. Number one, because it's available to us. Number two, it's because it's interesting and it works in our botanical style systems because animals seem to graze on it. It replicates to some extent the fruits that fall into tropical rivers. So I find that fascinating. We don't use the bark. We don't use the branches or the leaves. We know that our shrimp and our fishes eagerly graze on its soft inner interior and the biofilms which are recruited on the pod as it breaks down. Research, experiment, and draw your own conclusions on stuff like this, though, based on the performance that you experience with your shrimp and your fishes. Don't rely on anecdotal assumptions to make complex, important decisions. Don't assume that because the tree can do all these things that the leaves or seed pods can do them too. And don't assume that because human nutrition benefits from these things that your fishes do as well. And don't think that they can impart all these benefits to shrimps and fishes. Anecdotal nutrition, that's kind of a term I've come up with here, is something that we shouldn't accept without some skepticism, like so many things we do in the aquarium hobby. It's a lot to take in, and I know I went on some tangents, and I can see how this might even be a bit disappointing to some because it's not really giving you a lot of conclusions here. The reality is that it's actually exciting. It's invigorating because sorting through this sea of anecdotal assumptions and hypotheses in an effort to benefit our animals is incredibly exciting and rewarding when we find some answers. Don't give up just because something doesn't seem to have a concrete answer. If you have a hunch, go for it. Understand that there's always risk, there's always downsides, and there's sometimes nothing happens at all. But that's the beauty of doing your own little experimentation. Stay informed, stay bold, stay curious, stay excited, stay resourceful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.